Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Hope you had a nice weekend. Some tremendous weather. Some good to less good baseball from the Toronto Blue Jays. They take two or three against the Minnesota Twins. Fraudulent American League Central on full display. The best team in that division can't handle the worst team in the American League East. Some good pitching for the Jays. They win 3-1 and 3-0. 9-7 loss sandwiched in between there. And don't get excited about the offense in that one. It was a lot of a lot of garbage time. Dalton Varsho, uh, a Toronto Raptor at heart with all of the fake comeback home runs he's been hitting uh, of late. It was a fun one. I was on the call with Ben Wagner all weekend. That was a blast. Uh, later today, we'll have Arden Zwelling in studio for an hour. He was down in Minnesota uh, throughout the series. But joining me right now for a little bit in studio. By the way, uh, before I, I introduce our guest, uh, we're going to take a bunch of your texts in the 1030 hour. Uh, so if you've got questions or, or thoughts from the weekend, text them to 590-590. Uh, we'll get to those a little bit later. Joining me right now, though. J.D. Bunkus of the J.D. Bunkus podcast. He was just on air for an hour. Yeah. He hustles over here to do me a favor. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm going to fire some texts in, too. You're going to text into 590 yeah. I'm going to text in 590 right That's now. how you know it's free. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> when I do it. Big time. <laughs> Although, yeah, I had a pretty pricey weekend. A pretty expensive weekend. You uh, had a, you had a big weekend in general. Obviously, there were a handful of Blue Jays games. They were on the road, so, so you weren't there. But you were doing... Horse racing, mm -hmm. you had your sweet Latvian boys winning their mm -hmm. first ever medal yes. in international men's hockey. Dude, how sweet was that? It is very cool. The, uh, the bros were crying. They were having a tie. The way that that stadium belted out the anthem, whew, yeah. chills. And then today you, like you that. see them, the, you know, the, the social media posts from overnight are, are that um, the Latvian fans putting flowers at the U.S. Embassy. I guess that's a tradition in some European sports that I wasn't yeah. aware of, that you nice. you lay flowers at the embassy of the team you defeated. I'm sure which the Americans feels, are distraught. It feels a little <laughs> bit like that meme of like showed up to my yeah. biggest haters funeral just yeah. to make sure. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, we, and we will not do anything spoiler related here, but no. there was also the succession finale, which I, I know you're doing a podcast only yeah. version of the J.D. Bunkus podcast uh, a little later on that. Yeah, I'm going to do some thoughts on yesterday's finale because it. I don't think that you can have a, a reaction to a show like that right as it happens. No, you got to sit with it. Yeah, whenever people, like I went and looked online just to see and I saw people going bad, good, you know, and, and I went, how, how could you feel this way right now? You mm -hmm. just lost a five-year relationship, a four-year relationship of something that you really care about you're probably not going to have your correct take right in the moment. Like, I, I remember I hated the Sopranos finale, and now I love the Sopranos finale. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> kidding. I, <laughs> there, no spoilers. The, although there are people but, who will be, like, mad at you for a spoiler yeah. of Sopranos still, like, 200 years later. So what's up, brother? What are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to talk about some Blue Jays stuff. But oh, just, yeah, yeah to, to close up the succession thought, just, yeah, you need some time to sit with it, especially those of us who maybe have some uh, – parental tr related trauma, uh, yeah. a whole show of just like your, your trauma support <laughs> billionaires yeah. uh, are gone now. God, um, my trauma would have been so much better with billions of dollars though. I gotta say it does feel like a pretty good safety net. It would have been way better. Yeah. There's no doubt <laughs> much better. Um, and then of course you get a, uh, tomorrow you get, I think you should leave back. So we get a, a fresh crop of a, a game seven and tonight. a game seven tonight. Yeah, dude. It's with good times. Scott Foster and Tony Weather's brothers. Nice. On the call. Ooh, it's uh they so there's no way to spin the conspiracy for the NBA game seven because they just threw all the bad refs at it. Um, yeah. The one conspiracy people are spinning is John Goble, who's the third ref, is from Miami and and like grew up in Miami, went to I think Florida International University. But you've got Tony Brothers and Scott Foster. It's just like 
Those, you don't know I which way Boston's those guys. Boston's record are... against Scott Foster was really bad. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really pay attention to the ref stuff, to be honest. Like, it's just funny to see both sides immediately try to spin of. Also, everybody else in the world, that's our thing and Chris Paul's thing. Yeah. Is it's Toronto to cry about the refs. Yeah. It's not your guys' job to cry about the refs and Chris Paul. That's it. Those yeah. are the two people that historically are supposed to have it. Unless Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid team up. Okay. God, I know this is Jay's Talk Plus, but. Yeah, I know. I got hit with that Adrian Griffin news while I, I was at the I got hit with it. As, like yeah. Ben Wagner and I were literally about to start the broadcast yeah. for the Saturday game. But the, I was like, how delivery, do I work this in? The delivery of it, like Nick Nurse pulled out and was like, yeah. hmm. After meeting with Giannis? Yeah. Went, hmm. Hmm. What if Nick Nurse, I've been doing this on my show. What if he gets pinched? Because apparently the son's job is sewn up. They, got, they like Chris Quinn. No, I actually got that wrong. Okay. They like somebody else. I looked into it yesterday because I gave you false okay. information. Bill Simmons reported that they like someone who I, I actually don't know who he is. Kevin Young? Yes, Kevin Young. Okay. So they like Kevin Young, which means he's going to go work with Joel because he's not getting the Pistons job under Dwayne. No, I mean, it would make no sense anyway. It's so it's like basically now there's one job left for Nick Nurse and it's with Joel Embiid who kind of openly hates his guts. Yeah. Although a couple days ago, and this is how we'll pivot. Yeah. Did seem like, uh, I mean, nothing was imminent. Um, I think it was Ken Rosenthal did a 17 managers uh, checking the temperature of their chair. Yeah, it's a weird one. Nick Nurse could have maybe been in the John Schneider mix. Uh, As the the Jays look to change anything. And there was, it was, and we'll talk about the weekend and break some of that stuff down. But I I am curious your take because obviously John Schneider has been on this job less than a year. I think if you continually have coach issues or or things that you blame on a coach, that says more about your roster if it's happening multiple times in succession. Mm -hmm. Um, And... That yes, there were some. There was the Manoa weird mound visit thing. There were some odd bullpen managements. The Ernie Clement pinch hitting for Dalton Varsho stuff. Uh, but for the most part, mm. what's wrong with the Jays has not been the the managerial stuff. What did you? What have you made of Jays fans pointing to that as a potential issue? Just grasping for an explanation. So I think it's fair, but also they're not firing another manager. Less like, than a year in. Yeah, like it's it's not happening. So I don't really understand because I've seen the proliferation of articles and tweets about John Schneider. I think two things can be true. He's not doing a great job. I've, I said this today. It feels like I, I know that we blame coaches when the team's going bad and the bullpen has not been great. But you're there. You're at, You're watching these games. You're calling these games. To me, it's like he doesn't have a great feel for his own roster. And it's tough when, like, one week your bullpen, like, one week Eric Swanson looks like he could be a co-ninth inning guy, and one week he looks like he could be sure. a co-Adam Simber sixth inning guy. Um, some of that's tough. You know, the, the Ernie Clement thing is something you can point to, and, and I thought, you know, even something as small as, like, well, you have a three-run lead on Sunday, and Whit Merrifield's in left field, which means Biggio's at second base, and Nathan Lucas sitting on the bench, and you don't use a defensive replacement in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah. Like, if not that scenario, what is Nathan Lucas here for? That's what, exactly right. What is he, like, it's a day Kiermaier's out, injured, and stuff. And you can pull at little stuff like that, but also, like, none of that, like, it's it's a much bigger thing that has led to the Blue Jays struggling so far. I, I completely agree. It's just that he's not helping right now. Right. And so, you know they're not making a trade. You know they're not firing their GM in season. You know that they don't have anything to trade anyways. Like, what, what could they trade? What could the Blue Jays offer another team that they would go, yeah, no, we definitely want that. I said they should be trying to do the Dalton Varsho trade back. They should just be running that back going, 
We actually changed our mind. We wanted to put a clause in that made sure that if this didn't go the way we wanted it to, to this degree, where Varsho's getting pinch hit for Big Earn, that uh, we get to redo this one. I, I just don't know what the position is. And so I think this is the problem with having the Don Mattingly right beside you, is that people look at that and they go, well, you got to pivot to this guy. It's like, and well, he's in the dugout. Like, he's helping make these decisions. That That's the thing, right? It's like sometimes when, when you go to someone who's already on the bench, you're like, okay, well, if he was the solution, why was he not contributing those yeah. solutions before? But also... Don Mattingly, of course, a, a super well-respected guy, a valuable bench coach and stuff. He was, in two stops, a pretty big disaster as a manager. Yeah. He has name value, but also, like, it's not like he's flush with rings. This he never Terry won Francona. one. This isn't Terry Francona. Yeah, it's like, I, I think it's, hey, it's a name people recognize, and it's the same with, you know, suggesting the the hitting coach get the axe or whatever. Like, maybe it moves the needle, but, like, in-season coaching changes almost never do anything no. for you, especially further down the staff. Well, I, again... To me, this is just a situation of, I don't know if it's people not paying attention to the fact that Charlie was fired last year or people forgetting, mm-hmm. or that because the Blue Jays have been a disappointment, that's what you just end up doing as a writer or an observer, well, especially when you're doing it on a national level and mm-hmm. you can't, like, man, it's impossible to pay attention to all the baseball teams. You can't. I was going to just say that, like, oh, I got I got a good no. look at Gabriel Moreno on the weekend. I watched yeah. four innings of a tight Diamondbacks-Red Sox I mean, game, and he looked great back yeah. there. Like, that's – if you're a national-level person, there are right. 15 games every day, that's the best you can do. And so when you're doing columns like that of who's the most disappointing, who's the – because that's what people like to read. They gravitate yeah. towards is who's having an above-expectation start? Who's been below-expectation? And then you do hot seat stuff. You go, well, who's on the hot seat yeah. then? How is this going to change if you have high expectation? The discussion is always about the manager. It's never, oh, the Blue Jays might trade Vlad Jr. You know, no. they're, maybe they're not going to sign him to a contract based on 200 plate appearances this year. Like, that's nonsensical stuff. The only thing that you could actually do as a normal organization that hasn't like, these guys are now on their third manager. This would be their mm-hmm. fourth guy. B- both for the core and this front office. And, Not happening. And it rolls down, or it rolls up, rather, right? It's like, as Not a happening. GM, a- as a core roster, yeah. you might get one or two coaching changes. And then if you're a mm-hmm. GM, you get maybe two coaching changes. If you're the president, you probably only get, like, one. Like, Shanahan's got to be looking mm-hmm. at this a little bit, too, right? Because whoever replaces Dubas will be the third general manager during his tenure. Um, yeah, you you have to be careful and judicious with those things now the other thing you know you mentioned they're not going to trade vlad away or whatever uh, if, if they stay out of the playoff race i do wonder if the matt chapman thing becomes a conversation because right now the mm-hmm. the jays are and it's early but this is exactly the one-third mark of the season mm-hmm. um they're three and a half games out of a wild card spot and they would have four teams to jump just to get there well how much are you reading into the what was it two and 13 against the american league east this month I mean, a little bit, and this is where I was going to go with it. I, I kind of, you know, half-jokingly called the Twins frauds, right? Like, they are at the top of the AL Central. They have this plus 42 run differential that would be one of the best in any other division. But they are on – the AL Central is on pace to have the second-worst no, sucks. interdivisional record in the divisional era. So how well a division does against every other division. They're on pace to be the second-worst ever. The mm-hmm. only time they that there was one worse was – uh, I think it was 2018 when three teams in that division lost 98 games or more. Same division, mm-hmm. same franchises. They None of them have been able to pull themselves up from 2018 when they were all tanking as well. Um, literally the only, I'm wearing a White Sox hat today. Liam Hendricks is back today. That is the only nice thing that'll happen in the American League Central the mm-hmm. entire season. Yeah. So I do put a little bit of stock into their record against American League East teams versus other teams. But if you look at it, 
like like the Jays have, I think, the third best record against non-divisional opponents. That's great. That means you're taking care of your business and you enter a season in the AL East and the idea should be go 500 in your division mm-hmm. and get your get your bones against everyone else. But they've been so bad in their own division. Some of it's just like the timing of their poor play. Like obviously they they beat the Rays earlier in the year. They were the first team to knock them off. They were the only team that had won a series against the Yankees for a long stretch. Some of it's timing, but... I also think Boston and Baltimore are better than people expected. And that's a real factor too. So I can simplify this. I think that the Jays are a good team. They're not a great team. And you got to be a great team in this division if you're going to win it. And the holes that the Jays have are numerous. Whereas the holes that some of the other teams in the division appear to have. And namely the top three, Baltimore. Because Boston I think is in the same class with the Blue Jays where they've got multiple flaws. I think they're a little below the Jays too if you you really dig in. I I don't really. To me, it's like you're on that tier. Yeah. Like this is the thing is you looked at the Angels and thinking about them squandering talent. I think the Jays are kind of on the Angels tier right now. They can't put their nose up at a bunch of teams in the American League West right now that they're fighting with for a wild card spot. I think they're very similar. You go, what are the Angels? They're a team that has two stars and then – They've got some struggling to find some starting pitching, and then they've got a bullpen that's pretty leaky. Oh, you know who that reminds me of is the Blue Jays. Yeah. You know, the Astros are clearly better. I think that the Rangers are going to give people a real um, reality check when they show up and face the Blue Jays because it seems like the money is starting to work. Like, they're like, there's seven guys deep in their batting order. Like, they've got yeah. real guys. And they, they've they now passed the Rays, not in record, but if you look at under the any of the under-the-hood metrics, run differential, yeah. things like that, the Rangers have been the, the most dangerous team in baseball. And they're, you know, if not one, they're one-two with the Rays in just about every offensive category, too. I, I just don't... I just think that there's really, really good teams in the American League East, three of them in particular, that the Blue Jays look clearly behind. And, and I don't see where the Jays get on level unless Manoa starts to regulate or they get some relievers back and those guys start to dominate. And even if they get relievers back, we're talking about, you know, Mitch White, potentially, I mean, he got lit up in a rehab assignment uh, in AAA on Saturday. And- I, you're the only one monitoring that, bro. I was talking about Zach Pop coming yeah, back. And, and Zach, Pop, Zach Pop's yeah. great, but he's not, you know, he had an ERA in the fives and he was being used mostly in the seventh inning before he went on the I.O. I love Zach Pop. But, like, he's going to have to restart working his way up the depth chart. The Chad Green thing is, like, we're talking, like, August maybe. And no one, I mean, you and I joke about this all the time, that it's like a trade deadline acquisition. It is not like it's a trade. You know what it is? A trade deadline acquisition. But you're not going to be able to get in on real trades, I don't think, anyways. You're right so now. thin at the high levels of the minors. And I think you came into this year ranked 17th. Uh, by Keith Law in terms of organizational uh, farm system rankings, and your farm system has had a very poor start to the season. Dude, I think this is why people are reacting this way in May or whatever. It's basically June now. You mentioned it's a third end of the season. Baseball is a sport. I say it all the time. Where when you give takes, it just usually makes you look dumb because everything's about regression to the mean, and so so it's good to have a two-hour daily baseball yeah, show where well, you, you have to have we, a take here and there. Well, that's the thing; you can only give an opinion on the information that you have, yeah. and you can do your best to try to prognosticate. But I think the reason why people might feel a little bit more upset right now is like they've moved all their trade pieces in; they're into the luxury tax when it comes to spending. Their star players are in their primey primes, like when it comes to baseball. And it, still not expensive yet. Exactly. And what what have you you're on your third manager, as we mentioned. And and what has that gotten you? You might be the fourth best team in the division. It's really hard to make the case that the Blue Jays are some kind of 
sleeping giant that is ready to just look way better than the other three teams that whooped their ass like over the last little stretch here. So I think that's why you're getting a baseball fans, I think, are usually a little bit more panicky. People uh, people love to do the whole it's early thing all the time. And yeah, a lot of the time that ends up being a true thing. But this one does have a little bit of a different feel to it in terms of how do you change this? What ends up changing? Runners in scoring position is going to be the one thing because they are It'll come top around. 10 and yeah. OPS. They're, and WRC plus and all of those stats. Even if you look at, so they, they have. They're good against right-handed pitching. They're terrible against lefties. Because, yeah, which will, I mean, I think that'll turn around at least a little bit because their top guys are so good against lefties generally. Um, but like they have scored five or fewer runs mm-hmm. in 16 of the last 19. And I use five or fewer as the cutoff because once you hit six runs, you win more than 80% of games. Mm. If you get to six runs, you're in really, really good shape. That's a good stat for the degenerate gambler in me to be monitoring games where there's six runs. Yeah. And just like, okay. 81.9%. Yeah, like, 81.9% of the time you, you win that. if you score six or more runs. Yeah, okay. um, and the average team will do that in about a third of their games. Mm-hmm. The Jays have done it three times in the last 19. That, but that's what I mean. I think that normalizes to a degree. Yes. The only counter to it, though, is Kiermaier gets hurt the other night. And you go, this guy's been real healthy. And Springer's just starting to turn it around. And I go, he hasn't had his yearly check with the the, the IL yet. And, and you're Danny going Jansen, like this, that the right field thing solves it, right? Like you're, you've got your fingers crossed that that's a big part of it. But And, and really, like you've had, like Santiago Espinal and Danny Jansen are on the IL right now. Zach Pops on the IL. But big picture, healthy. you're the only team in baseball that hasn't had to use a sixth starter yet. The only team that's mm-hmm. run five starters the whole way. Uh, Vlad missed like two days with the wrist thing and like two days with the knee thing. And like no one else has really missed time more than, and you know, a day here and there. like Espinal and Jansen matter. Yeah. They, they mean Ernie Clement and Tyler Heineman are on your roster, but they're not. I mean, the Jansen one will be big by the end of this IL strip, but Espinal wasn't playing anyway. He wasn't playing particularly well. Bro, the best way to kind of summarize all the stuff that we're talking around right now is the Jays just won two or three. And it's really hard to come on and do a show right now going, well, now they've kind of changed the the way that they were going. The trend is changed. No, it doesn't. And, like, it's, uh, and part of it is because the Twins are in the AL Central. And, and look, the Twins have a ton of injuries, too. And when they get back, if they get back to health come September, they might be a tough out in the playoffs. But they're going to be the worst division winner, by like, clearly. They're the only division leader right now with a losing record outside of their division. It's very plumped up on AL Central opponents. And the the toughest part for me about having a a lot of optimism coming out of that weekend is that the two games the Jays won and you get a ton of credit to the bullpen and Gosman and Brios, but the bats didn't win them any of those games. They scored three runs. They continued to make mistakes on the base paths in just about every game. The Chapman one almost put me in the the madhouse because I'm going where that uh, that's the other frustrating thing. They were supposed to be the team that plays defense and has Mm -hmm. maturity and it doesn't feel like it was this incredible departure from what they had a year. The center field defense is clearly better. Yeah. And Varsho's been a stud in left field too. He, I, I know Saturday he had the ball go off his, the top of his glove and over the and fence. Friday and, he had a diving play that, yeah. listen, if you're going to be but the then, guy who OPS is 680 or yeah. whatever, not even that, 650, yeah. you better make the spectacular plays in left field, especially yeah. given that's not exactly a primary defensive spot. <laughs> if you get your glove on it, Dalton Varsho, yeah. 
make the play. He at least did the like trap thing, but uh, right. to, to stop it rolling a little bit. But, <laughs> Dude, but that's then, a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. thing you yeah. say is he made the trap play, okay? That's at, not a Varsho thing. And it is worth saying that for Varsho, on Sunday, he did make in center field a leaping catch at the wall. He had a, One a, for three. a huge outfield assist in that game and scored from first on a single at mm-hmm. one point, like he he's checked the box more often than not. And, and the Jays, depending on which metric you look at, at like if you use uh, defensive run save, they are lapping everyone in the league yeah. defensively. It doesn't feel that way, but I, I think- said to Ennis today, though, what is they don't take into account. You're the stats guy. How do they account for you? create a home run yourself in defensive run save. That's a tough one. I, yeah, I would have to, I would have to <laughs> ask like to, the nerd, the I, council of nerds. I'd like the council of nerds to answer that because I don't think it even registers in it. So yeah, because yeah. it was not leaving the park. That's what I mean. Yeah. He put it over the fence. So. And I believe it was on the anniversary of Jose Canseco taking one off the head and over the fence. That's because the anniversary of that was this weekend too. I just can't remember now if it was Saturday or Sunday. This is when I feel like we're just in a simulation is that Boston's going to have another team like the the one place that always wins is going to find another way to come back from 03. The Jays have another blooper that involves a former Blue Jay on the same day. Like, this is all simulations. So we're just running yeah. it back. The simulation's basically like Hollywood right now with movies where they go, just do, uh, d- just make another movie that we already made. Just yeah. do another, just make that movie again. Well, yeah. What, do you, what do you mean we've had too many Spider-Mans? Put yeah. them all in the same <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, They're exactly. all Spider-Man. That's Everyone's Spider-Man. Yeah. Is yeah. when there's a hundred Spider-Mans. I, I haven't seen it. No idea what, Dude, what it is. I saw it because my friends went, it's not like all the other ones. Goodness. And they convinced me and I finally went, fine, I'll watch it. And I did. And guess what? It was like all the other It was all like all the other yeah. There's only one good Spider-Man movie, and it's the first one. Or With the, Macho Man Randy Savage yes. as Bonesaw. The first one is good, and so is the animated one that they okay. made. Spideyverse. That's a good one, too. Anyways, that's, those are my Spider-Man takes. Give have a lot of takes today. <laughs> all right. Um, and, and we can hear your takes. You can fire us some questions at 590, 590. We'll do that in the next block. Um, let's spin it a little bit op- a, a little bit optimistic, because there were two right. parts of this weekend that, that I think we can pull out and, and, you know, examine just just how our confidence has changed. The first one is Jose Barrios. Mm-hmm. He walks five yesterday, but dances around that a little bit. And I was actually, it was one of those ones where it didn't feel like he walked five because he was pretty efficient with his pitches. And when he came out of the game and I looked at the stat line, I'm like, five, really? Mm-hmm. It didn't feel that way at all. His ERA now on the season is down to 386. Nine starts in a row, he's gone at least five innings. Mm. Strikeout rates up, ground ball rates up, amount he's missing bats is up he's still he doesn't look dominant mm-hmm. but is jose brios back in the trust tree for you like if you're going down to a game this weekend and jose Brios, well they're on the road this weekend but hypothetically and you're seeing a jose brios start are you feeling good about it at this point you know it's weird yes and no it's like what is the bar because he was so he had so many nightmarish starts last year that you were doing the babadook thing why can't you just be normal you know screaming <laughs> and now he's just normal but when they gave Jose Barrios that big contract extension, I wasn't exactly expecting him to be a five-inning guy who, you know, had an ERA around four. I thought that he was going to be a frontline starter, that you were going to feel like the whole premise of this starting rotation was when they signed Gossman, that you could end up having the best rotation in all of baseball, and that was going to be what made this team special. Best rotation and then superstars in the middle of their lineup in Bo and Vlad, and then everything else orbiting around those two guys. And so right now, it just kind of feels like, and I know Bassett's been really, really good. Until the last two starts. Yeah. He's, he had some red flags in the profile that have started coming home to roost now a little bit. And well, also for an older starting pitcher whose velocity dropped off at the end of last year, 
it's just it's hard to envision you're going to get the best version of Bassett come playoff time and that you really want him to be your number two starter, especially when you have guys like Manoa and Barrios who are supposed to be in their primes, right? Yeah. And, like, the Kikuchi thing has been great, but he started to normalize, and I think it's pretty realistic that, hey, guess what? He could be a good fifth starter, and at this point you take it given where he was last year. So with Barrios is, you're right. I, I'm, I'm feeling positive about him. I say good for the guy that he seems to have figured it out. I think he's a massive confidence guy. This has been a take that I've been sort of on an island on. People disagree with me, but I, I think that he's had a real difficulty this last year when things have started to go sour at just finding himself and normalizing. And I, I think that makes sense. Like you yeah. look at he, his whole thing was he's the most consistent pitcher in baseball over five years. And then you have a year where you have a couple blips early. Yeah. And every time you think you fix it, something else has happened. It had to take a mental. It's why I was so worried after his first two starts in this season and the bad world baseball classic appearance, because my whole thought process was, well, if he needs the off season to mentally reset and like get back to like, even mechanically just, okay, throw what feels natural and work from there. And mentally like not have the pressure of what your last start was. That's why I was pretty worried when the season started this way, but I, I've, you know, I've come around on it. The, the strikeout rate and missing more bats coming up is a big positive how, for me. How much has that changed? It's it's pretty significant. Okay. Um, not like he's not a, a strikeout artist now, but he struck out fewer than 20% of the batters he faced last year. That's up to 23%. And his mm. swinging strike rate, like how often he gets actual swing and miss, is the third highest of his career right now. That's really nice. Okay, so I was going to say that gives me a little bit more confidence because when I'm watching him from the eye test standpoint, it, it doesn't feel like he's getting away with it in the sense of, oh, wow, these are just completely unsustainable numbers. But, you know, it, it's not like the stuff you're, you're watching any pitches that he has and you go, damn, that's so nasty. That's the signature thing that he's doing right now, right? Ooh, that, you just, you can't hit that pitch. It's just, he's good. Like, he's fine. He's a good middle of the rotation starter, higher middle part, right? Like, he's a, looking like a solid three, but not mm -hmm. an elite three an amazing four and honestly in the in 2023 20 million dollars for that is a pretty pretty fair price tag okay well if that's the case then whatever. like it, it sounds weird but like we're not that far removed from like scott feldman getting three years sure. 36 million because someone has to pitch I, so. I guess that's it is the way that i'm looking at it as okay great this doesn't look like a nightmarish disaster contract that is going to break you at some point he looks like a good pitcher i just if you told me hey Project out to the playoffs now. What is your hope? My hope is still that Alec Manoa finds himself more than yeah. I feel good Or that about. Kevin Gosman can pitch every game. Yeah, that's that would be good. Yeah. They should invent a drug that they can shoot into your arm where just, you know, you can... I think pitch. for him it would be the finger thing, right? It's like we've got to get you a prosthetic finger because by the end of a yeah. start you're so blistered up and, yeah. and either, messed up. Either way, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like it feels like they have a bunch of guys now with Manoa not being really himself at all where you could go... I don't want you starting the second game of a playoff series, but I wouldn't mind it if you were the third starter in the playoff series or the fourth starter in the playoff series, you know? Yeah, so, and I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Good, okay. good, denormalized. He's not a disaster. Which is great. That's yeah. all any of us can really hope for. Just don't be a disaster. Yeah, don't be horrific. So uh, the other positive from this weekend, and it's kind of been brewing for a little bit here. Uh, over the last, since the start of the 2021 season, mm -hmm. among position players, Bo Bichette, 13th in wins above replacement now. Um, and first in hits, first in multi-hit mm -hmm. games. If you look at the last uh, calendar year only, so back to uh, May 29th of last year, okay. again, leads the league in hits over that stretch, leads the league in multiple hit games, ninth in wins above replacement. 
I know there will always be some argument about is he a slightly below average shortstop? Is he an average shortstop? The, the numbers this year suggest he might be a slightly above average shortstop, but the bat is real. The hit tool is unbelievable. Are you, and this, I'm going to set this up for you in a hot takey way, but. Sure, I'm ready to give you one. Bo Bichette, the franchise player for this team, not Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Absolutely no question about it. Like, what are we talking about here? I mean, we're talking about similar batting lines over multiple years, and one guy has done it at shortstop, and one guy has done it at first base slash DH. Yeah, the the only, and I And Bo has more home runs right now, too, by the way. The the one differentiator I would say is that, yeah, Bo plays the premium position, but Vlad plays his much better. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. Like, Vladdy had another beautiful play at first yesterday. Oh, the diving stop. Yeah. Yeah. He's a nasty first baseman, so you can't take that away from Vlad, even though it's the least important one. And I will say that the most impressed I've ever been by a first baseman was Steve Pierce during the last Red Sox World (laughs) Series run where he didn't even play first base for the Blue Jays, and all of a sudden he was picking everything, and he was – I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a yoga master. He can do the splits as good as anyone I've ever seen. My favorite thing in slow pitch ever is like when you you obviously put the the most lumbering guy on your team at first base yeah. and the odd time he picks a, like a one hopper yeah. off the ground and everyone's like, Ooh, could we stick him yeah. in right field? A- exactly. <laughs> could so, he handle it? So I don't want to over-exaggerate like the difference. But, yeah, one guy's really good at his position, and I think Bo is – here's what I'll say. You as a fan, when Bo gets hit a routine ground ball to you, to him – and he starts to make the transfer, do you feel any time, like, automatic out? <laughs> no. You feel like, don't sail it, Bo. That's basically what my brain goes through just about every single time, is the throw, he's clearly got some range. He can kind of pick it. He's never going to be amazing at it, but he's been fine. He's definitely not one of the problems right now. If you were telling me... You know how many errors he's on pace for this year, by the way? I don't know. He hasn't had one in a while, right? Yeah, he's like, on pace for 12, which is yeah. half as many as he had in yeah, 2022 exactly. and 2021. But guess what? If he can just not have those errors... I, that's well, that sounds so stupid where I'm like, because you know what? If he just didn't get errors, yeah. it's pretty good. Well, also, if he didn't strike no. out and yeah, if, yeah, he didn't, yeah. uh, exactly. if he didn't ever fly exactly. out or line out, if but, he only hit home runs. But I'm just saying that it's not the range that's an issue right. with him, right? It's not the feel. It's the throw. He mm-hmm. just needs to be able to make that throw. Make that throw from your position to first base with more consistency, and no one's really going to have an issue with you. Yeah. It's the throwaways that people have a problem with. Um, if you were going to say to any Blue Jay fan right now, hey, you get to, re- you get to extend Vlad or Bo who are you picking? It's not even a question mark. It's, it's, it shouldn't be a debate for you amongst being a fan. Vladdy, uh, this was my main thing today, is we're now getting a sample where you have to look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and say, hey, man, you're an all-star level player, but you're not a superstar. You're, you're not a I guy who everything orbits around like an Aaron Judge. On merit right now, and he'll get in because he'll get voted in by the fans. He's one of the most popular oh, players in baseball. he's not an all-star right now. He's not an all-star no, 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 right no. now. Yeah. Like he, his WRC plus, so again, weighted runs created plus, which adjusts for some park factors and tries to put everyone on the same scale, has been 126. 26% above average offensively. That's fine if you play a premium position or yeah. you're Kevin Kiermeyer having a hot start to the season. Uh, if you are a guy who hit 48 home runs two years ago and plays first base, that 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 doesn't do it. Like, like Vlad is on pace this year to be about a two win player, which is a league average player. Yeah. And that's it is it's tough, man. He's fourth worst in all of baseball with two strikes. Yeah. He's also at a career low walk rate right now, career which low is struggling. walk rate. No home runs at home. Like one home run since May 4th. And it was yeah. off Luke Rayleigh and a position player. Yeah. And, and you got to say at this point, 
Ennis was right about the Dunedin thing all along. That he he pointed out that Vlad inflated those numbers in the 48-hit season and went, dude, keep an eye on this. That one is a little tough for me, though, because, like, and, and I know we can't. You think he's ever going to hit 50 home runs? No, probably yeah. not. Um, you think he's ever going to hit 40 again? Yeah, I'd probably take the yes on that because I didn't think he had that great a season last year approach-wise, and he hit 32. All right. I'm just yeah. saying that, Azo, thumbs up. Vladdy hitting 40 bombs again? You bet your life on it? He has yeah, to. I, right. I said yes, and we're a new yeah, yeah, we're a new yeah, talent did. producer relationship yeah, he here. So I don't know. As I watch yeah. a ton of ball, I just yeah. I don't know, man. I don't see a guy that like I mentioned. It's been a long time since he was the dude Jeff Passan wrote as the greatest hitter in baseball the two seasons ago. He just feels like a very good player, a very good player. But the bar for him when we were watching him hit dingers at sixteen in the batting cages was. What the sound that his that the bat makes when he hits is just different. You guys hear Vladdy's sound of the is that a, when's the last time you had that conversation with someone? No, it sounds like, like it, it sounds look, like ground ball to short stuff. Some of this, and, and I was gonna say the the ground ball rate has spiked dramatically since he came back from that knee issue. I don't know that it's related or anything like that, but that was back on that happened on May 16th. He has eight hits since then. Three of those came, including his only home run, came in that game against the Rays where every like they scored 20 runs, and not Dude, all of, not all one, of it. That home run doesn't count. Off. I know, this not all of it. Was, count that. Not like, all of it was off Luke Rayleigh and Christian Betancourt, but like some of it, some of it was. So, um, you know, he's only got eight hits since then over over a span of almost two weeks since Bo, he came back from the knee thing. Bo is down there in the dugout giving him lessons. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> like, I like that they're friendly enough that he can they can do that I, with each other. I had a friend text me on the weekend like, "Oh, Bo's so good at the play. Like, I, he would make a killer hitting coach when he's done." I'm like, "I agree, except that he is going to be so rich yeah. that why would you bother?" Yeah, no. Guess what? Bo is not going to be doing that. It's my here's my guess is he won't be uh grinding it out in baseball and trying to become a hitting coach. Nah, I don't I don't think that that it's not glamorous enough, uh, glamorous <laughs> enough for him. Anyway, I just the Vladdy thing to me is weirdly out of all of this stuff that we're talking about. Like, I, I don't, I, I mentioned how I don't see the paths to them becoming great. Unless he rediscovers that. Yeah, but it's just, it's been a long time it since he been, was great. Yeah. He's been good. He's good. You know whose bat makes a different sound? Is that Jordan Alvarez in Houston. Like, listen to the yeah. way he hit one yesterday. I don't know. You guys see that highlight? Yes. You should just play the audio of his home run on your show. It is like actually a lightning bolt hit a part of the stadium. It is nasty. That's what I want to hear from Vladdy. And then we can talk about Blue Jays World Series rings at that point. Yeah. Or at least, uh, you know, hey, could the Jays be favored in a wild card series? Because that's the that's the upper end of where Oof. things look right now. Three and a half back with four teams to jump. Uh, J.D. Bunkus, I got to let you go do the podcast only version of the J.D. Bunkus podcast, which is on 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, every day on Sports at 590 The Fan. And you can get the full podcast versions, which have extended segments. Sometimes I'm on them. Yep. Uh, on the J.D. Bunkus podcast feed. Glad you enjoyed Succession. And I will see you Wednesday. You will. For the Jays game. You get to meet my mom. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. All right. Thanks for taking the time, man. See you, brother. Uh, all right. We're going to take a break. When we come back and when Jays Talk Plus continues, we'll uh, take some of your texts, take some of your questions. Uh, you can keep those coming. Text 590-590. That's X as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. 
discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Stock Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or so taking some of your texts to 590-590, answering some of your questions coming out of the weekend. We've also got Arden's Welling in studio uh, from 11 to 12, so uh, we'll sprinkle some of those in as well, get Arden's take on them. One piece of, two pieces of Major League Baseball news, actually, uh, from the weekend that I'd like to touch on that are... Not really Jays related, maybe a little Jays adjacent. Uh, The first is that Liam Hendricks is back today, which is one of the best stories in all of baseball. Um, He has obviously missed the the entire season to date due to his battle against cancer. He's now cancer free. Uh, He will be activated today. The J a couple of the Jays put out messages on social media, including Jordan Romano, Matt Chapman, uh, Chris Bassett. And you see from those, you know, that's not your typical like, hey, social media guy puts a camera in the player's face for a, for a two-minute clip. These guys care about Liam Hendricks, who is, even before this, known as one of the most popular players around baseball. Um, this is obviously a tremendous story. It'll be great to see him back on the mound. The question that I would have, and I apologize for this being a little insensitive, is how long do we have to wait before we can then start talking about Liam Hendricks as a potential trade target? Uh, Because uh, his rehab stint wasn't very effective numbers wise uh, with the White Sox. I I think you can get past that. It it was four, uh, sorry, it was six appearances uh, in the minor league stretched out over about a month. Uh, If this is anything like the Liam Hendricks we have seen in recent years, just about every contender will be trying to trade for him come deadline time because the White Sox are more or less pointless They're 22 and 33 right now. And Liam Hendricks is in the last year of his contract. Uh, There is a $18 million team option on his deal for next year, but I'd imagine uh, whoever is employing him at that point just pays the buyout and maybe looks to negotiate a new deal. So that's uh, that's an interesting one to track, obviously a tremendous story. Uh, And then yes, uh, if he looks any level of Liam Hendricks over the next month or two, uh, put him near the top of your relief pitcher target lists. Uh, another pitcher returning today, and this one has a Canadian tilt. Mike Soroka is going to uh, return and make his first start in almost three years today for the Braves as they take on uh, Oakland. He's obviously dealt with myriad injuries, tried to make his way back uh, late last year, had to kind of take the long game here. He's actually made eight starts at AAA this season, 433 ERA, uh, but the strikeout numbers are okay. He's not walking a lot of guys. Uh, so at least enough evidence there for a banged up Braves rotation uh, to give him that promotion back up and see what he's got. This is a guy who in 2019 posted a 268 ERA over 174 innings. This is a guy who, when we were roster dreaming about the next world baseball classic was the absolute front of the rotation starting game one. And then starting, if you can get past the group stage uh, level of arms. So nice to see him back at the major league level as well. We're going to take some of your texts and keep them coming to five ninety five ninety. I can't promise we'll get to all of them, uh, but we'll get to as many as we can. Eddie and Fort Erie says he was watching a piece on Dalton Varsho show in yesterday's game. Um, back when he was behind the plate with the Diamondbacks. And considering the Jays are having a tough time with their catchers, throwing out runners, 
especially in the Tampa series, uh, do you think the Jays should consider putting him behind the plate? I would say that that should be something they consider uh, in general when the situation is uh, Danny Jansen's on the IL. I I thought, you know, Tyler Heineman coming back up when Danny Jansen, per the reporting uh, of, you know, Arden's Welling, Ben Nicholson, Spishai, Davidi, all the people who had been around the team the last couple of days. Danny Jansen, it sounds like, fought to stay off the IL with that groin issue. Uh, and maybe what could have happened there is he fights to stay off the IL. You give it an extra couple of days. And for a couple of days, Dalton Varsha was your, your backup slash emergency catcher. You also could have done something like send Nathan Lucas down, call Tyler Heineman up. You have a third catcher, but you more readily turn to Dalton Varsho. Um, I, I think there are some elements of the catching game that are tough to drop a guy into. It's certainly a nice luxury uh, to have, but Dalton Varsho hasn't started a game at catcher since June 9th of last season. You could probably try. I mean, not probably you can trust him. He's young. He's athletic. I talked to Caleb Joseph last week about what that might look like. Um, he's, he's capable back there for sure. And, and you're right that last year when he was behind the plate, he threw out six of the 18 base stealers, which is a really good clip. The year before that, he threw out seven of 22. That's also a really good clip. There is a big change though, in how all of this, that works this year with the the pitch clock and the disengagements and things like that. Generally, this isn't universal because obviously a bad catcher gets run on more than a good catcher, but more of the blame goes to a pitcher then goes to a catcher in most cases speaking generally and people have, you know, that that's an old baseballism anyway, but it's also um, something that we can now try to quantify. And a lot of the numbers say, yeah, how fast your pitcher is to the plate. Um, you know, we we've seen things like once you have two disengagements, the stolen base success rate goes up. So we know that the pitcher has an impact on that. I think, I, I don't think we could be a hundred percent certain Dalton Varsho is going to fix what ails the blue Jays behind the plate. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a real concern. And the Rays run on everyone. They had five or six stolen bases in a game against the Dodgers on the weekend. Still, you're in that division. You're potentially going to have to play them in the playoffs. And there are other teams out there who are going to run on you uh, as well. I was actually, and part of this is they just didn't get a, a lot of offense going. But Jose Barrios is a guy teams can really run on. And yesterday with, with the Barrios-Kirk battery, I was a little surprised the Twins didn't run more. Anyway, it's a good question, Eddie from Fort Erie. Um, it's something to keep in mind if Jansen's absence extends. Alejandro Kirk, by the way, played in eight games over the last nine days. He didn't start them all. DH'd one, pinch hit in two of them. Um, Saturday, he he pinch hit and ended up staying in the game for three innings. His workload has been really high lately. You get the off day today, um, but looking ahead, Thursday's already a day game after a night game. Uh, you're in another stretch of 13 days without a day off. You're going to see some Tyler Heineman here, and if that doesn't look good... Um, you know, the bar has to be pretty high for him defensively since he's a, a non-hitter. Maybe you start to consider it a, a little bit more then. Um, yes, texts about Vlad Jr. that he's only hit one home run in his last 19 games uh, and it was off a position player. We covered that. We covered that. Uh, May 4th was the last time he hit one off an actual pitcher. It's been a tough one. And more to the point recently, since that knee injury, um, and, you know, this is not necessarily causation it's just correlation but since that knee injury that didn't require an il stint his ops is down around 500 he only has the one home run off of luke Rayleigh and his ground ball rate which had he'd done he'd been doing better with he hadn't been hitting the ball on the ground hard to the left side nearly as much uh, he his average launch angle how much lift he was getting on his hits had improved significantly um 
that has gone the other way. His ground ball rate back up over 50% since that injury. So he's uh, in a slump in a number of ways right now at the dish. Alonzo Kirk, by the way, another guy to look at uh, when it comes to that ground ball rate. Did have a three-hit game on the weekend, but also had a boatload of ground balls. And he's top 20 in the league right now uh, in ground ball rate. When you're not very fleet of foot, that's especially an issue. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, I, I talked to Ben Wagner on the call over the weekend about, you know, what he's seen and what he's heard about the work Alejandro Kirk's putting in before games to better get lift on his swing and things like that. Uh, not really coming through uh, just yet. Daryl from Toronto asks that I hope I did my homework. Uh, how many double plays and strikeouts of Vladdy? B- oh, I, that was not me on Jay's talk. Uh, yesterday after the game. So I apologize. I don't know what conversation uh, you're referring to there. Uh, Tyler from London has a, a couple quick ones. Uh, the Jays have looked pretty good against teams, not in the AL East. Uuh, the base running mistakes come from pressing, trying to do the extra bit, knowing performance is down. I, I yes, Tyler, um, they have looked good against teams, not in the AL East. They play in the AL East though. And you got to win those. There, there's a long stretch here where I think only two series over the next month and change are against American league East teams. So um, if you're a believer in that, you absolutely need to see proof of concept of it right now. You need to see them take a couple off the Brewers who are really good. You need to see them take a couple off the Mets who aren't too bad and are getting a little bit healthy. You're right now on paper going to see Verlander and Scherzer in that series. Um, you're certainly going to have to take games off of teams like Houston and Texas, where if you want to play the AL East card, you can't also lose to the AL West. Now your base running point, Tyler, about this is the Jays maybe trying to do a little bit too much pressing a little bit. Absolutely. I think that's a thing. I think Brandon Belt, you know, comes slow out of the box and sees Matt Wallner misplay the ball a little bit. And he wants to get the second because it's a runner in scoring position. And then maybe that's a situation where they can put a pinch runner on and suddenly you're, you're one hit away from adding an extra run in a big spot. I get it. The, even some of the ones on the weekend, the guy coming off of third base, going on contact happened twice in one game. There's, you can understand it. You can understand a guy wanting to be aggressive. You can understand a contact play being on. What you can understand, though, is then Vlad also getting thrown out at first base, misplaying that. Um, you know, the Twins gave some back a little bit like that to Edward Julien. Uh, another Canadian guy had a, a tremendous weekend overall, but but some base running gaffes uh, as well. So uh, I agree, but to me, base running is something that, you know, you're you're hitting – is going to go up and down. If you're a pitcher, your pitching is going to go up and down and you can control some of that, but sometimes you're just going to have a a bad week or a bad series. The base running is something you should always be in control of anything that comes down to judgment plays and your mental reads and stuff like that. That is something that when things aren't going well, and if if you are feeling the pressure and you are pressing Tyler, that's the stuff you've got to control most. So I understand it as a, as an explanation, but I don't love it uh, in general because uh, that's what you need to take care of most in those times. Um, Jag from Toronto asks uh, what my thoughts are on how Vlad would be playing if he'd been offered a multi-year deal like Bo was, and would he be uh, a little bit more focused on better play? I don't think this is a thing mostly because, because of his super two status and when he came up versus when Bo came up, if we're just talking dollars, Vlad is more than fine. Vlad is going to make out better than Boba shed in his pre-free agency years. He is getting paid very well right now. He absolutely would not have signed uh, a three year extension at anything other than, you know, big market the way Bo did. I, I think they're different situations just given how big Vlad's market looked two years ago and that Vlad does have that super two status. So when you're sitting down to art to negotiate with Boba his salary this year, you know, the ARB numbers they were kicking around were about five and a half million. Vlad's numbers up around 15. 
those are significantly different. Even if we believe Vlad and Bo will eventually sign similar large extensions with, with roughly the same number or the same structure, um, the fact that Vlad is arguing right now in one arb year later with a significantly higher base salary makes those conversations uh, a little bit more difficult. Someone asked, you got to sign your text, by the way. Uh, why not trade Vlad? Stop holding on to potential. Uh, okay, well, um, if you're going to sell the guy at the bottom of his value, you're not going to get a ton back and you're in a win now mode where you're paying into the luxury. Like, sure, I get it. You're frustrated. But what is the Vlad trade that makes this team better and fits the current timeline and all of those other things? It's, uh, you know, I get it. You're frustrated at, at his play lately, but uh, it's hard to see that a uh, more reasonable question from Daryl in Toronto is would you consider moving Vlad down in the order? He says to six or seven, I think six or seven uh, is a little aggressive. I don't think they would do that. I, I think part of the problem is also Matt Chapman has cooled off after his hot start and Dalton Varsho is, I mean, maybe showing signs of life now, but he hasn't particularly hit particularly well. You drop Vlad down to six or seven. You've got no one to put ahead of him in the order. I think with Springer going again now and Brandon belt looking okay. Um, and Matt Chapman still has some good process and batted ball. So you could maybe explore moving him to fourth or fifth, but sixth or seventh you're, you're then like, even this version of Vladimir Guerrero jr is significantly better at the plate than the guys you would be putting ahead of him in the lineup. So uh, I'm for, exploring some sort of lineup tweak, but uh, dropping him that far down, uh, I think is uh, doing a little bit too much. We've got a couple more texts. I'll keep them pocketed for later in the show. Um, we've only got a couple seconds here before the break, so uh, we won't do that here. We will tee up, though, that Arden's Welling is going to join us in studio for the next hour. We're, of course, going to do uh, a lot of these big questions with Arden, you know, where, where is Vlad at right now? What does that mean? Where does Bo rank among top position players right now? We're also going to get into some of the nitty or grittier stuff, though. And Arden and I kind of joked when he was on last week that, yeah, Jay's Talk Plus is where we talk about things like Otto Lopez's potential role and stuff like that. Since we last talked to Arden, we saw Ernie Clement pinch hit in a clutch spot. We saw Nathan Lucas not used as a defensive replacement. Sometimes a little stuff matters and cascades a little bit. So we're going to take a break. Arden Swelling joins us in studio as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Joining me in studio for the next hour uh, to talk about all things Rafael Lantigua, of course. Uh, Arden Zwelling <laughs> up Sportset up Sportset.ca. Uh, you were down in Minnesota this weekend doing the sideline work. How, how you doing? How was Minnesota? Good, man. We got a little Lantigua content in on. I the saw that. That's why. I, that's why I set it up. Buffalo's uh, latest breakout star. Yeah, and I think that uh, Dan Schulman was likely happy to see that. Okay, and, uh, that's a little inside joke. He'll know what that means. Okay, all right. I hope he's listening. Then I know he was off on the weekend. It was a, it was a Matty Devlin uh, yeah. call. It was funny. I so I did. I mean, I was on the radio call with Ben Wagner uh, on the weekend, but I also did a couple of Blue Jay Centrals, and, and Jamie Campbell was off, so Brad Fay was in. It was right. me, Matt Devlin, and Brad Fay. It was it looked much more like a Raptors broadcast. Yeah, it was man. pretty fun. Yeah, and uh, it's awesome with with getting to work with Matty a little bit. Like, yeah, I just hadn't done baseball with him. I knew him a bit from basketball. Yeah, I forget sometimes that you used to be around all the time with basketball, too. Yeah, um, and he's super passionate about yeah. baseball. Like he got to start in baseball. He was actually, he was on the show last week, and he was telling me a story that, um, first of all, he got his start um, with, 
I think it was Palm Springs in the in the minor league baseball system. And then at some point, um, Jerry Howarth and Tom Cheek like let him sit in the booth with them and like he would like send them tapes sometimes and they'd give him like helpful feedback and stuff like that. So like his root, everyone knows him as a basketball guy now, but his roots are like pretty baseball deep. Yeah. That's exactly how it went for me. Like he was kind of telling me his backstory and his history and telling the old minor league stories. <laughs> like he grinded with, with those old minor league teams and, and earned his stripes in baseball. So it was really cool to get to work with him. Yeah, it's great. And you were in, uh, I mean, that's a great part of the broadcast, a part that, I don't know. You tell me it looked maybe less great, but you almost got hit with a couple balls. You and Yusei Kikuchi were just dodging them uh, <laughs> throughout the weekend. Yeah, there was. The, so there was one, the one yesterday, yesterday was Sunday, right? So yesterday, that one was more kind of like straight at me, uh, which I saw, but also what, it was from Korea, I think. And I don't know what the exit velo was, but in that we situation, don't get them for foul balls. No. Unfortunately, it was hard. <laughs> it was hit very hard. And in that situation, there's literally nothing you can do. It's like, if this is coming at you, you're getting hit. Like yeah. you just can't move that quickly. No, right? maybe or, you can get a hand up, like an arm up in the way to, and then your wrist or elbows taking the brunt or whatever, but turn the head maybe. Yeah. Right. So that one was like line drive right at me, which fortunately like not directly at my person, <laughs> but close enough that I kind of, you know, saw my God a little bit. <laughs> the one on, I think it was Saturday. Yeah. It was the day game. That one was more of like a pop-up. Um, kind of went up and the people I'm in the camera well with, they're local there, so they understand. And they were like, oh, this is coming in. And I was like, okay. And I look up, all I see is sun. No ball. Don't see the ball at all. And that's another helpless feeling. Because you don't have, I, I, I don't know, do you throw sunglasses on in between your heads? No. No, no, no sunglasses You don't have those like there. cool, like wrestler style, oily sunglasses <laughs> that uh, like Willie Castro wears and stuff? No. And I'm also not Kevin Kiermeyer, who will oftentimes have two pairs of sunglasses of course. <laughs> on his hat. Uh, so I look up and all I see is sun and it's like, all right, it's time to just turn away because it, you can't see the ball. It makes me, it gives me an appreciation for guys who are in the field for outfielders who look up and get those sun balls and you see them wrestling with it. It is so hard to pick up the ball when you're just looking up and all you're seeing is sun. Well, especially the ones, you know, like a really high infield fly where you have to just stare at it for so long. And if it's right in the sun, like, yeah, you, you've got to just kind of keep your eye on it the whole time. There's also that when it comes to outfield, like if, if you're, you know, taking a route to the ball, I remember I read this book called The Psychology of Baseball, and it's all about like how our brains are actually wired and try to process things like a projectile in flight. And like everyone says, keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the ball. Well, at major league exit velocities, even if you're a major league level outfielder, you can't keep your eye on the ball the entire time. You have to pick it up off the bat and then you have to read that enough to get a route and then your brain kind of fills in the rest and then you got to pick it up again but that extra layer of difficulty picking up picking it up in sun like that is uh it's pretty remarkable that guys pull these in at the percentages they do and your brain is relying on the history yeah, of the pattern recognition thousands of pound upon thousands of those that you've seen it's the same thing when you're hitting when you're hitting you've got 0.4 of a second four tenths of a second to swing before the ball is by you so really you've got like two tenths of a second to make a decision and two tenths of a second to execute physically. And the way that process works, if you really get into it, is just it's recognition out of hand and it's based on the, I don't know, tens, hundreds of thousands of similar pitches you have seen and your brain recognizes that's when I've seen this kind of spin or this kind of look or this kind of slot or whatever, it has been this other pitch. And then you are just into muscle memory of executing a swing based on those 
pitches upon pitches yeah. upon pitches that you have seen. It's why hitters, like individuals, humans without good vision just can't live at the big league level. You can have all the power in the world, all the contact ability. If you don't have good vision, you cannot exist at the big league level. It's also some of the stuff that they're trying to pick up and, you know, it's not like I've sat in against a hundred or anything, but, um, you know, so much of it is like, we don't have the vocabulary even to describe what they're looking for. I remember Fangraphs had a piece a couple years ago where they talked to a couple of elite hitters about like, like trying to figure this out. What are you actually looking for? Like, is it arm slot? Can you pick up any of the fingers? Is it true that, you know, with a high spin curveball, you get a red dot from the seams or whatever, all that stuff. And some of the guys tried to give answers. I think it was Mookie Betts who was just like, I cannot tell you. Like I, I, I know what I'm looking for, but I don't, we don't have the vocabulary for me to describe to you what I'm looking for in that bang, bang instance to pick up spin and velocity and location and everything like that. It's, it's really incredible. Bookie Betts is actually renowned throughout MLB as having some of the best eyes, some of the best vision, the best cortexes, right? Like the <laughs> best corneas, like on that level of anyone in baseball. And there are like very hyper-specific ways you, you can measure this stuff. And teams do look at that stuff. It's a book called the sports gene by David Epstein. Mm -hmm. that gets into a lot of these things and how like some of the best hitters um, over time. Uh, I think he talks to Barry Bonds in that book. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a similar thing where it's just like, yeah, I can't actually explain it to you. It's just something that I have. It's just innate. I was born with it and Mookie Betts is the guy who always gets cited as on a lot of these tests that teams will run just like through the roof his ability to process information um quickly yeah and it's it's funny that you know that book comes from David Epstein who also wrote range which is kind of like the the counter to the 10,000 hours theory um from uh, Malcolm Gladwell, which is like, oh, everything is about reps and reps and reps. And then Epstein writes range, which is like, actually, you know, those are examples. And like, yes, Tiger Woods became a really good golfer because he golfed for a really long time. But here are all these success stories of people having all these variant experiences and that helps your decision making and stuff. And, and it's, it's like this weird combination of both where you need the innate ability and then you also need enough reps for the pattern recognition and stuff. But then you also need like some of these range factors sprinkled in for like, hey, you've got to be able to break your way of thinking sometimes or, or approach problems differently. And, and, you know, it's why I think to this day, baseball executives are like they really love guys who also play football. And I'm sure there are a lot of proxies in there of like athleticism and things like that. But it's also just, yeah, multi-sport athletes. You know, there's a lot that that tells you, but also there's a value to it long-term. Environment matters as well. Literally like yeah. how you grew up, what types of influences you had, like just how you spent your time and your day. I mean, Steve Magnus is another guy who writes about this a lot. His new book's called Do Hard Things. And it's a great like book I read over the winter. And it gets into a lot of how... Like, yes, 10,000 hours matters, but it's not just 10,000 Right. Hours. If you do 10,000 hours in a poor environment with no instruction and you're not very good at it and you're, you're doing 10,000 hours without intention, you're not going to... And you weren't also, like, born with some sort of innate advantage. Yes. Which, honestly, every professional athlete is. And you didn't also identify early what that innate advantage is whether that's like you were born at elevation and you're going to be an amazing like marathon runner because your body is just better at delivering white blood cells right and moving oxygen through your body and just like cardio doesn't feel the same to you as it does other people or whether you're like Mookie Betts and you were born with just amazing ocular 
ability. Uh, and we've probably just lost the entire audience with this right now. But I mean, we just want to know why Vlad can't hit a homer. <laughs> well, let's look at, let's go into Vlad's corneas. Yeah. Let's uh, open them up. Um, no, and, and like Vlad's a fascinating guy too, because, you know, you obviously some of what, is ailing Vlad is, is an approach stuff. And there's a mental component to that. And he's a, he's always been an interesting one because obviously his, his dad was a, you know, fringe hall of fame level hitter and was renowned as like the best bad ball hitter. It was like, it wasn't his ability to select which pitches were in the zone. It was more his ability to track the ball throughout its path and still be able to, you know, that elite ability to bring your bat to where the ball is going to be even on really bad pitches and stuff. And then Vlad comes up as this, like, obviously he's going to have some of that and he has the physical tools, but then he's like initially like a hyper-selective guy where, no, I'm not going to swing at any of that stuff. They've even made a hamburger commercial kind of <laughs> making fun of that now. Um, well, you talk about environment with Vlad. Yeah. Right? The guy just grew up taking BP from you know, all day long. Like when you, when you talk about like the hours that a Vlad or a Bo Bichette put in Dalton to, to training Dalton Varshow when they were six, like, I'm talking about children, right? Like, Bo Bichette was homeschooled. I mean, I don't know how much schoolwork went on during the day. What I do know... I have an idea. ...is that every day, six to eight hours of baseball training. Yeah. As a child, as a young adult, like, as a teenager. Same thing for a lot of players who come out of the Dominican. Otto Lopez was telling me about... He went to... He was at the Nietzsche Academy in Santo Domingo, which is where Juan Soto came out of. Rainer Nunez, my boy, came <laughs> out of there. And these guys are waking up at 5 in the morning to go lift, and then they're taking BP at seven and then they're getting a quick bite and then they're taking ground balls from nine till 10 and then back to take some more swings and some more instruction. Like it is an all day thing. So when you talk about environment, like that's part of it. You know? Yeah. And I mean, when we talk about, you know, hockey's a, an interesting counter where like there's a huge privilege component and obviously in baseball at some of the Latin American academies, there is, you know, the risk of exploitation and the kind of, risk reward trade-off of the few guys who make it in a very major way and then in hockey the version of this is well if you have access to the best coaching and the most ice time and stuff like that from an early age it's so hard for someone who doesn't to eventually catch up even if you know like i, I remember my my early years like i think I think I started playing single A because my parents couldn't handle the travel of triple A as like a young family with three kids and stuff like that. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm playing here with this level of player and this level of competition and I get this much ice time. But anyone who starts in the triple A track is getting more ice time and the better coaches and better competition and stuff. And like some guys make that jump. I was never able to catch back up six-year-old me could have been I could have been somebody um but no and so I don't know it's it's fascinating to track this stuff and it's also fascinating to look at a franchise like the Blue Jays where whether randomly or a, as a core strategy like they clearly put a premium on that when you look and there are four or five second generation players on the roster and a handful more throughout the system and I, I can tell you right now like they're third or fourth round pick or something they're going to take homer bush jr in the draft just because like it's another second generation guy um they'll do stuff like that okay let's uh you're uh, sorry is he yeah. looking like a first rounder he is, bush? is uh he... depending on where you look he's about ranked 100 so he's yeah. I, i've seen him from like the late 80s to like the early 120s so you're talking about like 
early th- after all the supplemental picks, I think like early third. Because the Jays go twenty and, and then, then eighty something. Yeah, they don't pick again for like sixty or seventy picks. Yeah. I'm actually really curious just how they strategize this draft. Mm-hmm. This, it's not like you go in and you say we have to get this guy. There's always a strategy of like who you're taking early if it, it breaks out a certain way how you're managing your bonus pool like that's really the biggest thing so and we've seen them execute strategies yeah. in the past as well we saw it last year when they had the extra picks it was like hey we're gonna go a little cheaper in some some spots with a guy like josh kasevich who's going to be quick through the system but the upside really isn't there like you know the the ceiling is maybe a guy on the 40 man who like ernie clement or Otto lopez is maybe like this the ceiling for that player type of a bat to ball guy without power who can play a couple positions but that lets you go cheap and then with your third or fourth pick i forget which order it went in you can pay tucker toman way more than slot because you know he's a guy who was going to be available there for money reasons not for talent reasons pedigree environment tucker toman i mean what does his dad do right college baseball coach yeah so uh with kasevich i've actually heard defensively like he is legit yeah and uh, well it's minor league like scouting the stat line only here which is dangerous but he's really hitting lately too yeah he's a very big guy for a shortstop Mm -hmm. but like i've there's some people with the blue jays internally who are like that's our best defensive shortstop right now in the system so um interesting to hear that anyway last note on the draft is uh i was talking to keith law last week and he said a name that the jays have been he's heard with the jays a couple times is mac horvath who's kind of an outfielder slash utility piece with unc and 20 is a little early for him but like the thing we were kicking around is like yeah if you don't have another pick though until the 80s you don't have to take the guy who everyone thinks at 20 you have to take the best player at 20 the, the guy you like the most who won't be there in the 80s. That's a, you can reach a lot of spots. Like if the guy, <laughs> if the guy consensus ranked 75 is your favorite guy, you got to reach 55 slots. Like there's no trading down in the Major League Baseball draft. Yeah. And the Blue Jays are going through that process right now, figuring out who they want to select, how they want to strategize and, and game this thing. Shane Farrell obviously runs their their draft room um, as he has for a number of years now. I know the Blue Jays were at Wake Forest recently, mm. taking a look at some of the, the guys there. And I think Wake Forest has got a guy who's going to go really, really early. I'm not super up on my draft stuff just yet. but So I don't think that would be the target. But that's also another... Again, we get back to environment. Like mm-hmm. Wake Forest is like a professional environment at the college level. The resources, the tools, the instruction, uh, the way that those guys train and prepare and recover. The Blue Jays like actually modeled a lot of what they do in Dunedin, the player development complex, off of the way that Wake Forest does things. And they mm-hmm. like players from there. And I know they've selected a few in recent years, so it's kind of interesting that they were out there scouting recently. Yeah, Rhett Louder is the uh, the pitcher's name at Wake Forest who's expected to go top 10. Yeah, that'll be... Household uh, name, Rhett Louder. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably be off the board by the time that the Jays select. But. I would imagine so, but also the other thing is like a, a program the level of Wake Forest is going to be playing against good schools too, so you can see a couple maybe from other other programs while you're there and... Yeah, there's a there's a big element of that. And then I also wonder too, like when you're at a program like that, the transition to the minor league system is probably so much easier, right? Because you're used to playing in a in a pro style environment. There were times where the Blue Jays, before they redid the player development complex in Dunedin, they were selecting players out of some of these college programs. They were going from having, you know, training and, and facilities, nutrition, all that stuff 
and taking a step down when they came to the Blue Jays and going to the old Bobby Maddox Center in Dunedin, which was like 30 out of 30, they had worse resources and they had less space in the gym and they had less advanced sort of biomechanical stuff to utilize. And so that's really one of the reasons why it was so important to get Dunedin done when the Blue Jays did because, yeah, you're going to have a hard time recruiting. You're going to have a hard time developing. Uh, you're going to have a hard time getting the best out of young players coming out of the amateur ranks when somebody's going from some of these facilities at Division One college schools to something in Dunedin that at the time was on par with like high schools in, in Florida. Okay, so this is obviously not a conversation that's super related to what the Jays are going through right now. But as a pivot point, and in the next segment, the next block of this, um, Arden's staying with us the whole hour, we'll get into this weekend and where the Jays are at. But I, do, I did want to ask you about some of the the more minute stuff from this past weekend and, and looking ahead the next couple of days. And we, we kind of joked last week of like, Oh yeah, this show's about getting into all the micro stuff, like not talking about Vlad, not being able to hit home runs and stuff, but talking about, and I think you even made the joke of like the Ernie Clements of the world. And then after you were on, he gets called up and then pinch hits for Dalton Varsho in a big spot like this. And, and then you see something like, you know, the ninth inning up three, nothing on Sunday, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer's out, so Whit Merrifield's in left field, and then Nathan Lucas isn't used as a defensive replacement in that situation. Um, even something like Kirk pinch hitting in the seventh instead of the ninth, maybe that ninth inning opportunity doesn't come, but that adds, you know, an extra day behind the plate, an extra couple innings for him behind the plate while Danny Jansen's out. All of these micro things do come up at certain points. And the one that I wanted to, I mean, I guess just, just to kind of put a bow on the Ernie Clement thing, um, did you did you get any intel over the weekend in terms of what went into that Clement over Varsho pinch hit situation, especially coming off of uh, Varsho having a couple really good plate appearances against Shane McClanahan, lefty on lefty? His lefty numbers aren't that bad this year, Varsho. Yes, and you're going to have to remind me the name of the reliever who was in for the Twins. I do not have my laptop today. But uh, Giovanni Moran? Yeah, it was the lefty, right? Yeah. Oh, and no, I think this one was still the Rays series. It might have been called Poche. Right, so it, it was the moral of the story. It was a lefty up who likes to use his fastball up in the zone a lot. Dalton Varsho's had trouble with fastballs yeah. up in the zone. He's had trouble historically with lefties. No, the numbers are better this year, and he had three really well-struck balls against Shane McClanahan. But just asking around with that decision, they thought Ernie Clement had a better job of getting that inning, or had a better, like, would give them a better opportunity of getting that inning to Vlad, which is the ultimate goal there. It wasn't about, like, it was just, like, who's less likely to make an out here and who's more likely to get Vlad to the plate ultimately. All right. Uh, so looking forward, you know, early Clement is on this roster for right now. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, it sounds like he's hoping to avoid the IL and, and this is a day to day thing, but I, I got looking at, you know, what if Kiermeyer hit the IL? What does that look like? Uh, Jordan Luplo had been outrighted, so he's not on the 40 man anymore. Uh, Otto Lopez, they, they obviously made the Ernie Clement decision over him and you start looking and, and yeah, the Rafael Lantigua came up and he's, he can kind of, play anywhere like most of the guys in the minor leagues. Um, you start looking at a name like Cam Eden, who doesn't really hit, but he, you know, the, in, speed. in the Nathan Lucas mold of, hey, he's already stolen 20 bases this year at AAA. And, you know, Ben Wagner was telling me on air on the weekend that he might be the best, you know, in the high levels of the minors, the best defensive outfielder. Um, what is, it sounds like Kiermaier's not going to have to hit the IL, fingers crossed. But if it does, what is the the next layer of, Blue Jays minor league dead. Like, who would get the call next in a scenario like that? I think it would be Luplo. He's still on the forty, correct? No, I think they no. out. They, he, this was his one outright. Right. Um, they they did that. I think as part of the Heineman move. So I don't think he's on the forty minute. So give me the outfielders who are on the forty. There are none. 
Um, so the the position players they have on the 40 who aren't up or in, on the IL already are Horwitz, Lopez, and Barger. And, and obviously, um, you know, Horwitz, not really an outfielder. No. Lopez, a utility piece. Barger's still hurt, I think. Um, and then Leo Jimenez and Arelvis Martinez. They wouldn't want to make a 40 move. So I think, honestly, it would be Otto. Okay. Uh, they used him in center in spring training. Yeah. He's played some some outfield along he the way. He did last year a little bit too, right? Put, a little bit, Pinched yeah. in the center when Springer was out. It's not his best position but i mean you've got dalton varsho in center which you mm-hmm. feel great about you should have george springer in right most days and then left your you know wit and some collection of whether it's you know lucas biggio exactly Mayerfield, yeah. so you, i think it would probably be auto rather than making a 40-man move for like a cam eden who mm-hmm. yeah look he's got pop in his bat big exit velos good defender and a ton of speed yeah 20 steals already is uh as you mentioned, hit tool not really there, but he's been moving quickly up the system. It's something I noticed this spring when I kind of heard like he was going to Buffalo, and I thought, wow, like, he didn't—he doesn't have that real platform of a ton of high at bats and a ton of double A playing time. He's moving quickly, which does tell you something about how the organization feels about him. But ultimately, I, I think, or at least Kevin Kiermeyer is confident that he's going to avoid <laughs> the IL with this. I talked to him yesterday morning. And, uh, you know, he wasn't feeling the greatest coming out of uh, that back tweak on Saturday. But it's also something that, like, he has just done before. Like, he's been through tweaks like this. He's played through worse ones Mm -hmm. before. Blue Jays being cautious with it, obviously. But in the past, having, like, 48 hours of rest and treatment has allowed him to get to a place where he can play with more severe tweaks than this one. So he's confident he can get through this. A guy in his mid-30s just having random back soreness. I, I have no idea what that might be like. <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned, you know, he's played through stuff like this before. And we've heard so much this year, back to spring training, and, and while Kiermaier was performing so well to start the season, how much of this is about having been able to sit down with the Blue Jays sports science staff and, and plot out, and, and obviously Kiermaier, a lot of input in on this himself over the years, be, given what he's gone through and knowing his own body and they plot all this out and, Hey, we're going to do this, this, and this to try to keep you healthy. Um, when it comes to something like Kiermaier saying, I've played through worse than this. And we know he's played through stuff in the past and it's only gotten worse with the Rays. How much does the Jays sports science department have to like, like how much of this conversation is Kiermaier giving them feedback and how much of it is Schneider and the, the sports science department being like, dude, sit down. We're in this for the long haul. We're, we're not letting you push playing through a, another thing that could turn into it. Like a back thing becomes a hamstring thing, becomes a hip thing, uh, you know, after 10, 15 games playing through it. I think with a lot of players, it would be much more the latter. But with Kiermaier, I honestly get the sense it's more the former. He knows his body really well, just being through what he's been through the last couple of years, playing with a torn labrum in his hip, grinding through a lot of different physical things for as often as Kevin Kiermaier has been on the IL He's played hurt just as often. <laughs> so he understands his body really well. Like talking to him Sunday morning, like he wasn't going to play. He knew he wasn't going to play. And I don't think it was that they had to like really grab him to tell him not to play. Like here's an example actually on Saturday. So he tweaked in the first inning, went back out for the second, had to make another throw. And was like, well, that wasn't good. I kind of thought that throw actually, it was a, it was a terrible throw by Kevin Kiermaier's standards after an inning or two of him, like stretching on his back and trying to work it out. I, I kind of thought like, I wonder if his thought process was like, let me air this out and see how it feels. And if I can't get 
good velo on this or I can't locate it, then I know I, I need to sit down. I mean, there's no guarantee he was going to get that opportunity. I know. So, but in a, in a snap decision of like, yeah, I'm fine. I think he was just trying to play yeah. and trying to be out there for his team. He never wants to come out of a yeah, game. Of so I don't think that that was like his process. I think he just went out there and the ball came to him and he tried to throw it. But he went back into the dugout and he was due to lead off the next inning. And mm-hmm. he went to the Blue Jays coaching staff and told them, get somebody ready. So he was the one who was like initiating, get me out of this game. He wasn't going up there to try to grind through it and to play when he was compromised. He knew he had to get out before he made it worse. And before he ends up on the IL for an extended absence, his plan, if he had made that plate appearance was to bunt. Like he wasn't even going to swing the bat because it was, you think about it as a left-handed hitter and it's kind of like a a lower right right back tweak. Think about that torque. It's not going to feel good, and he could have worsened it if he really tried to let it rip with his swing. So his plan was to go up there and bunt and run as well as he could. But he told the Blue Jays, like, get somebody up, get somebody ready. And Kevin Biggio went from, like, sitting on the bench cold to into that game, ended up hitting himself a homer, which, honestly, talking to Kiermaier, he was, like, happiest about. Yeah. He's such a positive, optimistic, silver lining kind of guy. He was like, man, how great was it to see Kevin Biggio, like, get that moment and get to have a homer? Like, hopefully that gets him going. And he had a pinch hit homer earlier in the week as well. Again, a bit of a non-situation pinch hit home run but you still, you know, you still get to see it go over the fence, right? It's It still maybe helps you um, move forward. Last one before we take a break, just re- semi-related to Kiermaier. Um, so Biggio starts on Sunday. He plays the second base that bumps with Merrifield to left field. Again, Jays lead 3-0, bottom of the ninth. Romano comes in. If there were ever a situation where I w- thought we would have seen Nathan Lucas uh, protecting a small lead in the bottom of the ninth on the road, and you have an infielder playing in the outfit. Were you a little surprised that Lucas didn't come out on that spot? I didn't ask about that one. It's certainly something they could have done. I think that maybe if there was a three-run lead, they make that that adjustment. But, uh, yeah, I didn't ask about that one. All right. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I was we, I was waiting for it on the broadcast. I had my little pen ready on my score sheet. I'm like, yeah, Nathan Lucas has got to come in, right? Just just the question of do they leave Biggio at second or Merrifield at second? Because um, that tells us a little something, too, if they – you know, when they make those changes, which one of those guys they prefer at second, especially because it was three lefties coming up in the order to face Romano. Um, so the second base spot then a little premium as well. The thing I was more surprised about was not going to Mesa for the top of the order and going to Swanson yeah. instead. And and you have Richards on the mound, two lefties coming up and you go to Swanson, even though Richards is like your guy that you use against lefties. And he'd been in a bit, but he'd only thrown, I think, 22 pitches at that point. Yeah, so I thought that that was more peculiar to me. It was not using Mays in that spot with an off day coming up. But yeah, I didn't I didn't ask about any of that stuff after the game. Yeah, well, uh, we can speculate. I was going to ruin the vibe. Yeah, after the hey, Blue Jays finally won a hey, series. Why didn't you let Nathan <laughs> Lucas play? Uh, yeah, that's uh, you got to you got to use those questions uh, carefully, and that's where I obviously. Did they not have an off day today? That's maybe something you ask pregame today, but uh, today is a, a reset day for them. Their only day off in the stretch of 31 days. We're going to take a break. Arden's going to stick with us, and then uh, we'll go from talking about uh, books like the sports gene and uh, what the Jays might do in the draft two weeks from now. We're talking about what happened this weekend and what's going to happen uh, the week ahead. We'll get into some of the bigger stories as, as we kind of pitch backwards here, and Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590, The Fan, and Sports at 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. 
I'm Blake Murphy, still with us. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet, of Sportsnet.ca. Okay, so we did a lot of the smaller stuff in we the majored in the minors. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and that, that's good. But I think top of mind for some people right now is, I mean, first of all, yeah, the Vlad and the Manoa stuff is top of mind. It's also the one third mark of the season. Um, this is, you know, I know people say, hey, Memorial Day is when you really start evaluating things. And statistically, one third of the way is a, is a pretty notable landmark. Um, if you are looking at things like team offensive performance with runners in scoring position. No, we're not far enough in yet for that stuff to normalize uh, or at all, but things like a player's strikeout and walk rate, um, things like how much power growth there is or power decline for a player, that stuff's starting to become a little bit real. The batted ball numbers are, are starting to become pretty real. And for this Toronto Blue Jays team, the thing that is most real is the standings and they are two games over 500. They, they do have a decent uh, run differential and they have some good indicate, you know, the starters have thrown more innings than any other rotation. Their, their offense, once we control for a bunch of factors is top 10, but the reality is they're in last place in the American league East. They're 10 and a half games back of the division. So if you're looking at the one third marker, that means over the last two thirds, you have to play at a even more gangbusters pace. You don't have 162 to catch up to Tampa 10 games. You have to play at a pace. That's, you know, 15 games better than them the rest of the way. Um, also of note though, is there are a couple games back of the wild card spot and you don't fret that right now. You do fret though, that you're tied for eight in the American league and record. And if you were to catch up in the wild card, you have a bunch of teams to jump. Now, we don't need to go into, hey, you got to beat this team and that team and that team. But I do think what we're seeing and what's notable for the Blue Jays is that this is a very polarized American League this year where you have the Oakland Athletics who are on pace to lose more games than any team since the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Should be relegated. Really? Should be relegated. Um, I don't know who's the top AAA team right now, but the Las Vegas 51s, call, call uh, them up or whatever they're called at this point. I would bet the Durham Bulls. Okay. Without having looked at AAA standings all season, I'm just going to bet on that organization. Okay. I will, you tell me if I'm close. I will That's look that up while, I'm, while I'm talking here. Um, so, you know, that is important to recognize because obviously the league as a whole be 500, but if you have the Oakland A's losing 130 games and you have an American League Central where every team is bad and the Minnesota twins are a game over 500, but under 500 against the rest uh, of baseball outside of their own division. What you're looking at is, you know, Hey, uh, uh, an 85 win season or an 88 win season needs, we need to adjust the context of that because the top of the American league is going to have more teams um, at the one third mark here. When you do look at the standings, when you do look around uh, the American league, how has, you know, how you project things ahead for the Blue Jays changed given the, the quality at the top of the American League, not just in the East, but the West as well? Yeah, the, the, the collection of really bad teams at the bottom of the American League losing all these games, like all those, it's a zero-sum game. All those losses go somewhere. Those yep. are wins for somebody else. So the top end is that much higher. And as we kind of project forward, I don't know that 91 wins is going to get you into the postseason this year. I don't know that 92 is going to get you in like it did for the Blue Jays last year. The Blue Jays hosted a wild card series last year with 92. We'll see. Um, as it pertains to winning the American League East, like I would say there is a less than 5% chance that the Blue Jays can do that. And so that means there are scenarios where that happens. I'm not really thinking about them because it's so unlikely We'll see if things break that way for them. If the Rays 
go on a losing streak midseason if the Blue Jays get super hot, make up a bunch of ground, if the Orioles come back down to earth and the Red Sox go away and the Yankees still, you know, continue to have a bunch of injury troubles that that they have have a problem getting past. If those things develop, I'll start thinking about winning the AL East again. But right now, I'm thinking about the Blue Jays needing to try to win the wild card race to try to host a wild card series if possible, like they did last year. But as I was leaving Target Field last night, I was kind of thinking to myself, I'm probably coming back here in late September. Like that seems somewhat likely with the way things are breaking. If we give the Rays the East, whoever wins the Central, I'll give them the Twins. Um, and then in the West, like the Rangers, Rangers or Astros. and Astros, pretty legit. Yeah, I think I might be going back to Target Field in late you, September. You might be. And honestly, in terms of uh, quality of opponent, that's preferable probably to playing the loser of the Rangers-Astros battle or the loser, the other AL East team. Like, uh, I think if obviously you're not going to be in a position where you can manipulate the standings and pick your opponent. But I think you want the AL central team uh, of any of the the teams that are gonna make the playoffs. And, and yeah, to your point about what the win cutoff is projected standings at this point in the season are still like pretty conservative. Um, so 88 is the cutoff right now, but 88 is the cutoff with, and I'm using fan graphs here. They don't believe in the Orioles still right. like they're projecting the Orioles to be under 500 the rest of the way. And the Orioles are the last team in at 88 wins. So if this Orioles team is even remotely real, then and they go 500 the rest of the way. Then you're talking about 89 wins, and then very quickly becomes not, like I think it's going to be a low 90s number to to get in. And the the other thing is like these teams are also going to add and get better between now and the end of July, and certainly the end of September. And the teams at the bottom will only get worse yeah. as they trade off anything oh. that isn't nailed down. I was looking at Oakland's roster today, trying to think. Like first, I went right to the payroll. I'm like, who makes more than the league minimum? <laughs> And trying to find anyone because they're not going to trade guys. They're not going to be hungry to trade guys who make the minimum, right? Because right. those those inexpensive labor and that's all Oakland cares about right yeah. now. Like Ramon Laureano, like he's he's not had a good season at the dish, but he's a right-handed hitter who can play some corner outfield with it with a good arm. Like that that might be the most attractive thing they have, and, and he's like he is not hitting well at all. Right. That might be the best chip they have. The Kansas cities will get worse as well. Like the teams in that tier will also continue to sell off. Like it'd be really interesting to see what the Mariners do at the deadline. Mm -hmm. Be really interesting to see what the White Sox do at the deadline, right? Like, Oh, I was teeing it up earlier that, Hey, I I asked the audience, what is obviously Liam Hendricks is going to return today. That's an incredible story. Uh, It's a, it's a very happy day for baseball and I need to know what is the appropriate amount of time to wait before I turn the page to, so what does it cost to get Liam Hendricks? <laughs> it's like, yeah, celebrate this for like two weeks. Right. And then put him on the trade block. First of all, like awesome, right? Incredible. An incredible story. Like so happy for him. I, I know him a little bit from when he was in Toronto. Like he's just a great dude. Like mm-hmm. we loved covering him. We loved chatting with him. Um, he was there in 15, had a really good year with those 2015 Blue Jays before he went on to obviously become one of the game's better closers. So like over the moon for him. Let's see how he looks coming off of like an extremely significant health event. But secondarily to all of that, isn't there a clause in his deal where if he gets traded, it triggers something in his contract? 
I am like I'm I'm doing the heat check here without a laptop in front of me, but I believe there is something in his deal. Okay, I will look this look up. That up. Uh, I know there's a team option, but I don't know yeah. if that's uh, either if the that's... option gets guaranteed or something along those lines. I should know this better off the top of my head. Yeah, he, I know. So he can block a trade to five teams this year if he wants. Um, I don't see an oh 2024 option is guaranteed with the trade. So that right. that 15 million dollar club option yeah. for next year becomes completely locked in if he gets dealt. So and the Blue Jays, I didn't a- I didn't know that. So that's a that's a pretty significant thing. I, I mentioned it earlier. Is like yeah, like you could you know you eat the buyout and negotiate a new deal with him, but that's essentially being one plus whatever's left on this year, if, especially because like if you were looking at it as a pure financial deal of like, oh, the White Sox might not want that much back in prospect capital because like it saves them a couple mil down the stretch or whatever. Now it's it's talking 18 mil on top of that. I knew there was something like that. It's a good so pull. For the Blue Jays, like you got to think about how much you want to spend on a reliever who's coming off of a very severe health event, right? So you need mm-hmm. to see you know how he looks, see like where his head's at, how you feel he projects going forward. And then you need to think about your payroll next year. Yeah. And there's a bunch of money coming off the books. Like you can fit that in. Was it 18 million you said? Yeah. It's listed as 18 million one place and 15 million another place. So I'll I'll double check another time, but either. So that could be Hunjin reuse money, which is coming off Mm -hmm. the books. But maybe if you're the Blue Jays, you need to use that money differently. Maybe you need a third baseman. Yeah, because uh, the I think the plan or the hope was, well, Matt Chapman's a free agent. One of or Elvis Martinez or Addison Barger should be ready for at least part-time work there. Addison Barger has hurt. been hurt. Or Elvis Martinez has pretty good week. Yeah, he's also, he's struck out less. Dude had at one point a batting average on balls and play below 100. I don't even <laughs> know how that's possible yeah. over like more than a week. It just, nothing was... Nothing was dropping in. Um, while we're talking about things you pulled, by the way, Durham's in second place. Nice. Yeah, Norfolk's in first. All That's right. Baltimore's AAA team. So I, I'm guessing you guessed Durham for the Tampa Bay Rays event. Yeah. The That's Baltimore right. program, not a, not a bad guess either. Okay, so we are at the one-third mark, and obviously there are some you know big questions around, of course, Manoa, of course, Vlad. I, I want to leave it open-ended for you. Um, but at the one-third mark, what is the biggest disappointment for you so far this year? Ooh, disappointment? Yeah. Um, I it's or negative surprise if you've yeah. like surprised toward the bad end, and we'll do the positive after as well. But yeah, I don't really think of anything like as disappointing. I think of you know things that like the Blue Jays would be disappointed mm-hmm. in, like not me. The Blue Jays would certainly be the performance of Alec Manoa. I mean, that's got to be number one mm-hmm. for this club. Um, they were and are expecting him to be very good and we're now a third of the way into the season so there's no more oh it's early he's working it out it's this is 33 percent of his season like this is a third of his starts now and i mean he's got a walk rate that's bordering 15 percent. yeah it's almost the highest in all baseball i couldn't even tell you the last time that a qualified starting pitcher finished the season with a 15 percent walk rate like teams don't allow things like that to continue over a full season like we ultimately you get a phantom il stint or you get demoted or you get moved to the bullpen it's the hardest thing for the blue jays right now is when you look at those options with alec manoa you don't have a good replacement in-house for him it's not like zach thompson is like breaking the doors down or it's not like you know the bowden francis is an interesting arm but he's a guy that you feel good about over like three innings tops yeah, so, and I think, again, what you would need to clear a 40-man spot for him. Exactly. So uh, you don't have, like, a ready-made fill-in if you want to 
even like Zulueta had been pitching better since they moved him to the bullpen. He got lit up on, yeah. on Saturday as well. Yeah, coming off the Mitch White disaster rehab start. Um, and this is what you're looking at, right? Is like the Jays are the only team in baseball that's only used five starters so far. And you'd think that that means maybe their depth is in good shape. And it is it is just not. Like, like Drew Hutchison, who's also not on the 40-man, has walked 29 guys in 35 innings. There's There's nothing. I think there's more with Zach Thompson. I know he hasn't quite found it at AAA yet. I think there is still something there with his cutter. The scene shifted wake he gets on that pitch. The kind of raw stripling kitchen sink approach that he can have. Um, I, I wonder if he's an option over the back half, if he can kind of get some things sorted. Like 762 I said, ERA right now. Truly. Yeah. No, it's not going well for him. No, 10, 10 home runs in 40 innings as well. It's uh, It's been a tough go. I look at the way that his cutter played when he was with Miami mm-hmm. and how effectively he was able to use that all around the zone. And then last season, he fell into just a really bad tendency of just like driving that pitch up and in. Cutter up and in, like really good pitch, uh, you know, against right-handed hitters, but... Uh, I mean, it's the Mariano Rivera special, right? <laughs> big league hitter is also really good. And if you just like pound one location over and over and over again, they pick up on that. And kind of what the Jays picked up on with Bailey Ober on Sunday. And I know they didn't beat him up or anything yeah. like that, but like, okay, well, the fastball is going to be high. The curveball is going to be low slider to one side of the plate. And they counter, right? Yeah. And they start targeting that location. They start lacing those pitches, yeah. um, even if they're they're really, really good. Like Freddie Freeman got Zach Thompson on one of those last year. Uh, really good pitch, up and in cutter. And like Freeman, as a left-handed hitter, like coming around to second base, Thompson goes and says like, man, like how'd you get your bat to that? And Freddie tells him literally on the field, I knew it was coming. You only throw your cutter there. So you you got to make an adjustment, dude. Yeah, once you can pick up the location, you know what pitch it is. Or once you can pick up the pitch, you know what location it is. So, and like, this is grasping at straws, right? Because like you mm-hmm. said, it's got the seven ERA, but if you can move his cutter around the zone a bit better, you know, tunnel the sinker, like uh, just um, take advantage of some of the seam shifted wake that he gets on his pitches, big curveball. We'll see. Bowden Francis is an arm that's really interesting to me. But again, mm-hmm. he's not somebody who's going to give you five innings. Yeah. Somebody who would give you three on a really good day. Velo's there with his fastball. That's great. And he's got good secondary stuff. But again, not somebody who's going three times through an order. Not somebody who might even be going uh, two times through the order. And it's one of, he's, he strikes me as, you know, first of all, if they had a 40-man spot or if he was on it, maybe if you want to, you know, in another stretch of a lot of games without a day off here, if you wanted to have a bullpen day to give everyone an extra breather, you know, 30 games in 31 days, we want Gosman to pitch on an extra day's rest, Manoa to pitch on an extra day's rest. You do a bullpen day, call that guy up to do three innings as kind of the the long opener or a bulk guy after an opener or something like that. But yeah, certainly not to replace Alec Manoa in the starting rotation. That's my biggest concern going forward is like, what if, Kevin Gosman takes a comebacker or like you say, Kikuchi's shoulder starts barking. Jose Barrios like pulls a hamstring and a Anything. rundown. Like these things happen. Like you said, Blue Jays, the only team in baseball that's used only five starting pitchers. Tampa Bay Rays have used 11. And some of that is like the Rays raising, but some of that also is losing a Springs and losing Erasmus. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, like what would happen if the Blue Jays had uh, some poor outcomes in terms of health? In the rotation, that's a huge concern going forward. So at the one third mark, the the most po- the the flip side of this, the most positive uh, surprise or, or thing that you you've been most excited by, um, maybe it is the the health and and that's a low bar or something like that. I, I've got my own here, but what what have you been? Uh, pleased with or encouraged by through the first third well again this is for the blue jays yes. not for me like I, I just don't really think about them yeah things in this context you don't have feelings i get it <laughs> but i think the blue jays would be most 
pleased with the way Boba has broken out. Mm-hmm. Like it's time to start stop talking about it as, you know, a hot streak. No, I mean, I set it up earlier. So since the start of the 2021 season, leads the league in hits, leads the league in multi-hit games, uh, top 15 in position player war. You narrow that down to just the last calendar year. So May 29th of 2022 to now, he moves into the top 10 in position player war. The lead in hits and multi-hit games gets even larger. Um, uh, for my eye, the defense has improved at least to like, I, I I think you can comfortably call him average at shortstop now. And maybe you go a little higher than that if you really like him. But that bat at that position, it's it's ridiculous. He's arguably a top 10 position player in baseball right now. He's a superstar. And if you want to narrow that sample down even further to start of September last year through till now, right? And I understand that's only probably 85, 86 games at this point. It's still almost 90 games, Mm -hmm. still a half season when he's been top five, top three, top two, even first in any category like weight runs, create plus fan graphs, war, batting average, OPS, whatever you like line drive rate. I mean, Bo is right up there at the top. So it's like, this is what a breakout looks like at that age at like mid twenties after kind of figuring out the league for a few years, having some success, being adjusted to adjusting back. Like, this is what, you know, figuring out his mental approach, which mm-hmm. was huge for him last year. Yeah. This is a breakout. And this is a guy who, if he continues on this path, is going to um, hit free agency at, like, I don't know, 27, whatever he'd be. 27, 28, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, possibly break a record. in terms of <laughs> Honestly, in terms of the contract. that The, uh, the Blue Jays getting him on that extension... Because if Looks he had tremendous. Gone year to year in arbitration, my goodness. Even if he lost this first year, yeah. like he'd be in great shape. Oh, yeah. He would be uh, like making much more money than he Yeah, is I mean, we don't now. even have anything to compare it to because what are you going to do? Go into arbitration and be like, hey, I'm coming off three seasons in a row leading the league in hits. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Go back to like when Tony Gwynn was in arbitration for the last time. Someone led the league in hits that many times at a young age in a row, no less. So I was Chris Black was talking to me about it during the broadcast uh, on the weekend because Chris did those broadcasts and it was awesome working with him again. I hadn't worked with him yet this year and he was, Bo was at the plate and he was in my ear like, man, some of these takes that Bo is taking. It, it's true. Some of the pitches that he's laying off of just off the plate in two strike counts before he hit the triple off of, uh, it escapes me who it was off of, but he went 0-2, and then, like, it wasn't that Bo Bichette foul off seven pitches. It was the Bo Bichette at 0-2 lay off that little slider just off the plate, lay off that pitch just in the shadow zone, and then get to the one that he could barrel for the triple. I mean, some of those takes, those swing decisions, so, so impressive. It's incredible. Right now. And, and if you're an opposing pitcher, I don't know, like he has closed every hole that he's had in his profile. And there was maybe a, a year or, or two thirds of a year there where, you know, even early last year when he was not great at the dish, but it's still fine. It was a lot of like, okay, well he can do this really well. And, you know, for there was a good stretch where it was like, okay, well just don't throw him spin, right? Like he, he can sit slider and curve ball, better than anyone else, but if he's sitting that, you know, he can't, not can't catch up, but he's not going to do damage if, if he has to catch up to speed. And then he closed that, and then, you know, you're pitching him differently, and, and I don't know, if you're if you're lining it up, like I was even looking the other day, because um, Pablo Lopez will sometimes go away from that sweeper to go back to, like last year he threw the most righty-righty change-ups. Nobody throws the, the change-up to right-handed hitters as a right-handed pitcher, and Pablo Lopez does. And then you look, and it's like, oh yeah, Bo Bichette absolutely tattoos those, 
So if you want to go away from the slider or the sweeper, whichever Pablo Lopez calls it, because Bo hits those so well, but you can't go to your changeup because he also hits those so well, and you're not an elite velo fastball guy. So what do you do with Bo Bichette? Well, what does Pablo Lopez do? He goes up and in to Bo, and Bo hits into the, into the seats. Which I'm, I, I, as a Pablo Lopez type of pitcher, like against a guy like Bo Bichette, up and in is supposed to be somewhere you can live. Mm-hmm. Like that's supposed to be somewhere you can exploit guys. And the mechanics on that swing, where like he's, like that's in on the early part of the barrel, and it's just like, I don't know, man. There's, there's nothing he can. It feels like he can't hit right now. Barrel control is how like people in the game kind of put it, and that just means your ability to get the sweet spot of your bat to a bunch of different pitches around the zone so for Bo and this is credit again to Chris Black who did this on the broadcast like he's made up and in an area that you can't go to him like he's just he's turned that into such a strength he's so good on those pitches so it's like where are you gonna go then if you can't go there against him as a right-handed pitcher you're out of spots and you're out of pitches (laughs) I I don't know what to do speaking of Chris Black Chris Black will be in studio with us tomorrow for the first hour of Jay's Talk Plus Arden Zwelling thank you so much for spending the hour with us Thanks to J.D. Bunkus for popping in a little earlier. Thank you for all your texts and questions over the text line to to help us through that 1030 block. Uh, Thanks to Lance, Jeff, and Jennifer uh, behind the glass. This has been Jay's Talk Plus. Blair Barker back with you 5 to 7 tonight. No Jay's game tonight, so we'll do it all again tomorrow. We'll continue to check in at the one-third mark and then start looking ahead to that Milwaukee Brewers series uh, that starts Tuesday here in Toronto. We get a nice Thursday weekday afternoon game. The weather's supposed to be beautiful all week. Uh, It's going to be a good week for baseball. The Jeff Merrick show is next. Get you set up for some uh, very important hockey, also some very important basketball tonight, but we'll be back uh, 10 a.m. tomorrow. Jay Stock Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan and Sportsnet 360.